and felicitations you're listening to the chairland chronicles i'm not dead yet i'm your host ben Hur. welcome well that's a new music i was trying out that is bad fingers come and get it that's from back in 1969 so what do you think Okay, this is one of, I think, three songs that I have uh, scheduled to try to replace Billy Preston. Although I, I still like Billy Preston, don't, don't get me wrong. And uh, just experimenting if you like it. But let me hear your input. Uh, you know where to reach me on Twitter. Um, ben Her at T-C-C-I-N-T-Y. Say yes to Badfinger or no to Badfinger. But we do have a few more groups coming up, and we'll be pairing that music up later on as we get into this uh, episode. This is episode 21. We're moving along, and uh, we're going to get into some things here, some fun stuff, some not-so-fun stuff, but uh, we'll have a good time. All six of you that uh, listen to this show now... Uh, let me know, and uh, we'll go from there, all right? If you know how to get a hold of me on Facebook, by all means, do so. Or if you have my number, call me, drop me a text. But otherwise, use that the old uh, Twitter method. Not that any of you have, but uh, it's there for you to get in touch with me. All right, we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. As everybody knows, that song is known as Taps. And Taps is basically the military tune for the day's end. It's usually played at night after the evening colors to designate that all activity should cease on the base except for the standing watches now it was first played in 1862 in July and it was adopted by the both the Union and Confederate armies nine months later in 1891, it was adopted as the official uh, song for all military branches. And it's mostly known f- 
for the ending song at a military funeral, designating that the soldier or sailor has come to the end of his watch. He has served well, and he has earned the respect and honor of his country and his countrymen. Um, today is Memorial Day. It's a day where we honor our cherished dead from all military conflicts and all people that served in the military at the end of the watch. Uh, Memorial Day was adopted as a holiday. And we're going to get to that term in just a minute. But it was to be observed on the uh, 30th of May each month. It was later changed to the last Monday in May from then on. So it's been like that for quite a while. But why do we observe what, what, the, what the word is Memorial Day? Well, it was originally known as Decoration Day, and it was instituted, uh, like I said, in 1868, three years, I'm sorry, 1868, three years after the end of the Civil War. Sorry, it's zero dark 30, so, you know, I'm drinking my coffee. But uh, getting back to Memorial Day, it was celebrated as Decoration Day, and that would later be changed to Memorial Day where we honored all of because Decoration Day was just a day where we, we honored our Civil War dead. But then it was expanded to honor all dead from all our wars. That includes the Revolution, the Spanish-American, the, uh, the Mexican Wars, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and anywhere else, American servicemen and women have died and given their lives for their country. So we do this every year, and there are usually festivities. And let's get to that. It is a national holiday. It's a day off. It's a three-day weekend for most people. But um, remember, when you go to the beach on Memorial Day to frolic in the water, remember that men 70 years earlier spent some time on a beach dying for your right to go to the beach. Otherwise, you'd be speaking either German or Japanese right now. With so much strife in the world, we still take the time to honor our dead. And see, this is what the whole holiday is about, honoring our war dead. Many of us take it as a, for granted as a three-day weekend, and we go about going to the coast, going to the beach, you know, having a barbecue, maybe even getting drunk. But it's a day of remembrance. It's a day for going and visiting your dead loved ones who serve. 
whether they died in a war or not, mostly if they died in a war, but if, they, if they're no longer with us, but they did serve in, during the war, we honor their memory as well. Simply because we can remember it like that. And it's not a day off. It's a day where we should be on, where we really should be helping our homeless veterans. People who are sick or veterans who are missing a limb, can't get around very much. It should be a day where we help these guys. You know, I'm included in that. I'm, I'm kind of messed up myself, but we're, it's a three-day weekend, right? I don't get to observe it because most of my day's shot. I have to go to dialysis and do that. See, when it's on a Monday, yeah, it's kind of messes things up. Well, you know, my, my week's already screwed up. That's neither here nor there. But anyway, getting back to Memorial Day. This is, I live in San Antonio, Texas, which is called Military City, USA, because at one time we had six active military bases. We have a very large national cemetery. Some of my relatives are buried there. But one relative we will get into in the next segment. And we will talk about him. But, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll catch it in the next block. That, that's the way I had to say it. Actually, this is, I've recorded this segment three times because I just didn't like the way the first two came out. This one I'm a little bit more comfortable with. But uh, we'll get into this a little bit more and we'll go from there all right you're listening to the chairland chronicles i'm not dead yet i'm your host ben Hur. stick around we're going to have some more stuff coming up and we'll delve into the whole thing on memorial day once again and uh, some of my honor dead i hope you'll like it i think i think you will You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Once again, Zero Dark Thirty. And uh, keep it in the same vein as Memorial Day. I, too, have a relative who died during the war, the war being World War I. He is my great-uncle. He is my grandmother on my father's side's brother. He was born in 1899 in Laredo, Texas, to a woman by the name of Antonia Cantu, who was from Rio Grande City, Texas, on the border. And just to give you a background as to my, my heritage, David Cantu Barkley was born in 1899 in Laredo, Texas, to my great-grandmother, Antonia Cantu. His father was a man by the name of Joseph Barkley, 
who was from Ireland, as far as we can tell. His father came over in 1870. I want to say that uh, from Ireland, came across the ocean, joined the army because he figured that was a good way to start, make some money. So the army sent him to uh, the Arizona Territory. It wasn't even a state, it was just a territory, to a place called Fort Ringgold. It was near the Texas-Mexican border. There, Joseph Barkley would meet my grandmother, my great-grandmother, Antonia, and Joseph was 35. My great-grandmother was 15. Now, you say, oh, my God, look at the big difference in their ages. And now that's, we don't even bat an eye at that. But back then, it was, by our standards, shocking. But back in those days, it was normal for women to be married by the age of 15. If you weren't, you were considered an old maid. Well, anyway, he met, married my, grand, my great-grandmother. They produced two children, my grandmother and my uncle, David. And uh, they were, I guess, okay. He was off. His father was always off fighting Indians and whatnot. And then sometime shortly after my grandmother was born, Joseph packed up and went back to the East Coast, went back to Philadelphia <clears throat> and left my great-grandmother and her two children alone in Texas. Now, my great-uncle David was a good kid. He wanted to provide for his mother and his young sister. So he would work. He went to work. He quit school and he went to work. But my uh, great-uncle was a very smart guy because he had a wagon and a mule to pull it. So he would do odd jobs around town, you know, doing this, doing that, hauling this, hauling that, everything going to the household and to his mom. He was a good guy. And then in 1917, the war broke out in the United States. And David wanted to be like his dad and do his part for his country because he was a good American. He believed in what he did. He joined the army at the age of 17. He might have actually been younger. So he joined the army, went to boot camp, and ultimately was assigned with the 89th Infantry. And at that time, the 89th was called up for action by General John Blackjack Pershing and was assigned to the American Expeditionary Forces. Now, my, I'm going to remind you that... Um, in 1917, the United States Army was very, very racist. I'm not going to lie. It's a truth. It's God's honest truth. Blacks and Hispanics were considered inferior by the Army, that they could not be taught or cultured into Army life, so they would leave them in the menial jobs, supply, um, cooking, cleaning, general jobs like that simply because they thought we were inferior mental-wise. We couldn't be taught the art of war. You know, like it's very hard to learn how to fight and die for your country. So anyway, David kind of realized this and he started going by his his uh, 
Anglo name of Barclay. That's how he joined the army. And that's how they took him so readily. And most of these things we know from his letters home to his mother that he does he wasn't really happy with army life. Who is? Nobody is. I mean, even I had my troubles with the military. And so that's the way it went. <clears throat> then David would write a letter home to his mother that he was being shipped out to go to France and fight the Germans. David went and relished this with the glee and, I don't know, the bravado that any young man would have to go and fight for his country. Because back then, people had a lot of civic pride. As a matter of fact, civics is something that used to be taught in school. It's no longer because everybody's woke. But David had that sense of fighting for his, his country, the United States. So he went across, so he went overseas, fought many battles. And then his the army was camped out on the Meuse River near the Argonne Forest in France. And on November the 9th, that night a call went around to all the units that they were looking for volunteers. The volunteers were going to swim across the icy waters of the Meuse River, go behind enemy lines, reconnoitering what they could, machine gun nests, pillboxes, troop emplacements, things like that, things that a, that a battlefield soldier would need to know. So David and uh, 15 other men would be paired off in twos to do this job, this mission. Now, the reason, I don't know the reason, I can't tell you what he was thinking, but kind of, his life kind of at least gave me insights to why he did it. Once again, he was 17 years old. He was full of piss and vinegar, and he was ready to do something for his country. Also, David was an avid swimmer. David won many awards in uh, Texas at swimming competitions. So there you go. That's the basic story of why he did what he did. So David got paired off with a man by the name of uh, Sergeant Harold Lyde Johnston. And about midnight, they entered the icy waters of the Meuse River and proceeded to swim across the river about maybe 200 yards. Now, if you've seen this river, you know that it, it widens and there's some parts that are much more narrow, but where David was, it was a very wide expanse of this river. So they swam across it, <clears throat> soaking wet in the freezing cold of November. They start to reconnoiter behind enemy lines. They made it about 400 yards behind enemy lines, marking uh, artillery batteries, machine gun nests, troop emplacements, things like that. And as they were making their way back to the river, they were found out, and the Germans opened up with everything they had and started shooting back. My great-uncle and his buddy re-entered the icy waters and started to swim back across with their precious information. Now, according to his military records, 
David swam half, about halfway across the river. He, he caught cramps and drowned. And he was lost to us. His partner managed to make it back to the other side, to his lines. Reported the loss of Private Barkley. And proceeded to give them all the information he had to prepare them for the oncoming offensive, which would occur dawn the next morning. Which would have been the Meuse-Argonne offensive, one of the biggest pushes in war at that time. Now, David was lost. As I said, he drowned and went down in the river. Now, I would meet a man later on who was a member of the Medal of Honor Historical Society who would induct me into it. And I learned a whole lot about Medal of Honor recipients and how many there were just here in San Antonio alone. And he started telling me a story that he'd been researching in a David and he knows the same thing I knew, that he was an avid swimmer. He, he found it hard to believe. Now, this man was an F, a former FBI agent. He was a pretty sharp dude. He was a good man. But he had a theory that David didn't catch cramps on the way back. What David caught was a bullet, maybe two, which set him down and killed him. One of the things we, we wanted to do was to exhume his body, to rebury him, with, a, with more with the honors that he deserved and with forensic uh, things they can do now they could probably determine whether he was shot or not either way it doesn't bring him back so <clears throat> for his his endeavors David was posthumously awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor our nation's highest award he was in, his body was removed from the river and interred in France. <clears throat> now, here's the most interesting part. David volunteered for this mission on November the 9th. The whole ordeal probably lasted him a few hours and would bring him back about November the 11th. <clears throat> Think about it, November the 11th. That was the day the armistice was signed and the war in France ended. Actually, the war all over the world ended, that first one. So David's may have been the last heroic act of the war, but it's not in any of the history books. He's not in any of the history books either. Go figure, right? So now we fast forward to this time when I was uh, contacted by this FBI agent and wanted more information on David. So we sat down and we became good friends after that. He since retired from the FBI, but had an active part in doing what he did for, for uh, Ben Levana recipients. And uh, our whole, we had, we had already g gathered people to support our cause, people from the Alamo because they were excited to find out that David had actually laid and stayed. Oh, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit because I got a little bit ahead of myself. So David was buried in France and, and later on in 1921, at the request of his mother, David's body was exhumed and shipped back to the United States for proper burial in the United States. Now, David, because he was a, now a Medal of Honor recipient, even though it was posthumously awarded, was given all the accolades 
and honors that you bestow upon a fallen warrior. David was returned home and shipped back to San Antonio, his newly adopted home, by rail, in a car all by himself, with a guard. When the train arrived in San Antonio at what is now Sunset Station, he was a highly... Uh, Oh, I don't even know what the word is. He had a very, very big turnout for his return, for the return of a fallen hero. His coffin would then be led to the Alamo, the Shrine of Texas Liberty, where he laid in state. Now, David was only one of seven people to have ever laid in state in the Alamo. That's how hallowed this ground is in Texas. So David laid and stayed there for 24 hours. The next day, his body was taken to San Fernando Cathedral, where the archbishop himself would lead a high requiem mass, and then a funeral procession from San Fernando to the then National Cemetery on Paso Hondo Street, where David still rests today. I visit him when I can, just to see how he's doing, and to salute him and thank him for his service and the fact that he was an uncle I never got to meet. I would love to have known him if he had come back and just listened to his war stories and the stories of being in the army and what it was like and the way he saw things, but I never got that chance because he gave his life for his cause and for his country. Maybe he was just a kid trying to be just like his dad. I don't know. I'll never know, but that's the story of my family's saga in the building of this great nation. A son gave his life, and now we just, I bear his legacy, because that's what good Americans do. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. Some not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, this is the end of May. Actually, today's the 31st, but this I should record. I tried to record this yesterday, but all my blocks were getting all fogged up, so I just scrapped the whole thing and started from scratch. So, uh, the 30th of May is very significant with me. Actually, the end of May is very significant. On May the 28th, 1978, I graduated from high school. I was Wheatley High Class of 1978. I graduated, got my diploma, and two days later, on the 30th, 
I was raising my right hand and taking an oath to my country and my constitution that I would uphold and defend both. Little do I know, or did I know, that I would still be doing it to this day. When you take that oath, it's for life. It's not just for that time. Some people can write it off as well. I was just in the army for four years or this and that, but no, as you get older, you feel, you realize some of the things that they instilled in you are still with you. And one of them is a sense of honor, a sense of duty, a sense of civics. And we're going to get more into that in just a little bit. But for now, that's why May is very important to me because it marked a milestone in my life, so to speak. I would graduate and I would enter into the world not knowing what I was, it was an adventure. And that was the truth about the Navy. It's not just my life, it's an adventure. Because as I look back on all those things that, I, that I've done, and I realize it was an adventure. I've done things that many people will never ever get to do. Many people can't say that they've actually heard a whale song from 400 feet below the ocean surface. We were actually swimming with the whales, but not many people can say they've done that. Very few of us can actually say we've done that. Very few of us can say that we've lived a life at sea, slept 20 feet from a nuclear reactor, sometimes sleeping next to a torpedo. That's truth. Ask any guy that served in a submarine and he'll tell you he slept next to a torpedo. So this is my adventure. It started in 1978 and it'll also end on May the 30th, 1984 when my time was up, which is a regret that I have in my life that I wish I had made it a career. I should have. There were so many should have, would have, could have in my life that it's almost a joke that I didn't make the right, well, did I make the right choice? Those are the, those are the questions that keep haunting me. Did I make the right decision? Did I do this? Should I, and as I look back on my life, maybe I should have turned right when I went left. But, you know, these are the follies of youth. These are the things that you look back on as you get older and saying, yeah, I was a stupid idiot back then. I should have made better choices. But life takes you. It's Once again, that's an adventure, and it's going to take you where it takes you. You just never know where or how you're going to end up. You do the best you can. And, yeah, you're going to go right when you should have gone left. And sometimes you get the opportunity to walk that back and start over, and sometimes you don't. Most times you don't. You have to play the cards that you're dealt, whether you like it or not. And that, of any life, is the God's honest truth. You do the best you can with what you got. I did. I tried. I still do. I still try to do the best with what I got. And one day it'll pay off, and I will have I guess the biggest goal of all for any of us is to be happy to know that you're secure in your where you're going and where people around you that you love are going and once again that's something that comes with the age time and wisdom of doing what I've done 
because a lot of my friends who were in the military look back and say, wow, I was an idiot, or I should have done this. See, it, it, it happens to all of us. So one day I will be gone from this earth. I will be nothing but dust, and maybe just a memory in somebody's mind like David is in mine. And we move forward. We all do because that's what we do. That's what life is about. So I joined the service in May. May, that's what I said. May is all. April, May have are very significant, significant moments in my life. And if you know why April is, you probably listened to this show and heard my other older things about what goes on. Left me with some very fond memories, some very good ones, and some very bad ones. But that's life, isn't it? It's about a series of choices and how you adapted or reacted to those choices, good or bad. Some people succumb to their bad choices and just keep making bad choices. Some people just make bad choices because we do from time to time, right? I can't. You can't say that everything you've done in your life has been right. That you should have jogged left when you jogged right. That's what it's all about. Trial and error. I don't think anybody has the perfect life, even though sometimes we like to sit back and say, wow, he's got the perfect life. Is he? Does he? Does she? We don't know because we're not in their shoes. And that's the thing about life. Is you have to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, and walk around in them for a while. Then you're going to get the feel of what they go through. Now that leads me to my next topic, civics. I told you the story about David and his do just want to do his part, right? A lot of us nowadays don't want to do that anymore. It's been it's been deprogrammed out of us to serve your country, to serve your community. Everybody's out for themselves. Everybody's in their own little world when they're looking, staring at their phone. I'm doing the same thing right here, but there's nobody else here with around me to converse with. So I talk to you. You're the people that I listen to. And speaking of listening, if you want to drop me a note what you think about my show or think about me for all that matter, hit me up. I'm on Twitter. I'm at BenHur at T-C-C-I-N-D-Y. That's BenHur at the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you would like to improve, maybe more better, better uh, bumper music or background music. I don't know. I play music that I think suits the mood. And speaking of suiting the mood, you want to do your own part? You think you can do better than me? Go for it. Go to Anchor Radio, and they will set you up to start your own podcast. What do you need? A phone and an imagination thing, and then have the gift of gab, be able to talk about yourself, for one, and anything else that comes up. And don't be afraid. It's your opinion. And your opinion is what, that's why you're doing the podcast, because it's your opinion. This is what you think or how you see the world, and that's okay, that's cool. And that's the thing, you have to remember, not everybody you you know is going to agree with you on everything because they have their own opinion of how they've been treated in this world and how they see things. But as long as you can converse with somebody in an adult, professional manner, whatever your profession is, and you can talk about it and see that person's side, put yourself in, in his skin and rattle around in it a little bit, and hopefully they'll do the same. And you might realize, hey, he's not so bad off. He just sees it this way. And that's okay. You can debate things, which is part of the freedom of self-expression and the First Amendment.
you have to be able to debate uh, point A over point B, what if or, or to the what is is you know, and once you have debate and you're willing to listen to the other other side, and maybe even argue the other side from time to time, you might understand better of what the world should be. Like David joining up to the army to go go off and fight in a war, who consciously does that? It's 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 civic pride. It's pride in your country, your nation, and yourself. We've lost that now because everybody's buried in their phone in their own little world. People don't interact face to face anymore. We do it over text messages. I've been broken up with so many times over text messages. I I don't know what's up. Instead of hey, coming to me, look at me in the eye and say, I don't want to be with you anymore, then that's fine. But when you do it over a text message, it's very impersonal. It's very inhuman, you know? So, civic pride. They used to teach civics in school. You know, when I was in first grade, and I've told this story many times, that's where I learned respect and honor for the flag. In school, we used to stand up every morning and do the Pledge of Allegiance. We don't do that anymore. Red Skelton called it many years ago. He said that at one time they took prayer out of school. After prayer will come the Pledge of Allegiance, and that's true. It has happened. They no longer do this in public school. And these are the Marxist teachings that say our country is racist. We have systemic racism. Well, you know what? If you want to believe that, go ahead. You're probably one of the actually probably one of the racists because you want people to believe that so you can continue hating people who aren't like you. <clears throat> I don't hate anybody that I can consciously think of. You know, if you have a belief, if you believe in Allah over God, if you believe in Jehovah. Or my God, that's okay. I don't. I'm not going to fault you. I don't care. That's your belief. <clears throat> I have a found profound respect for people who believe in the Islamic faith, and people who believe in the faith of, of the Jews, because you know what? It's my religion too. We share the same values and the same goals. We just see it in a different way. We see it in a different way to the point where we're willing to kill each other for, over it. See, these are the things that we can talk about. We can exchange our ideas and we can love one another instead of slaughtering one another. The emotions are the same, just on opposite ends of the scale. Hot and cold, love and hate. We really went off on a tangent on this one, didn't we? That wasn't my intent, but sometimes my ideals come out and you know where I, you know where I stand. Let me know where you stand. Ben Hur at TCCINDY. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. Oh, that's what I want. 
And we're back. You're listening to the Cherryland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Well, it's all about money. It, everything is. If you haven't figured that out by now, uh, I don't. I guess you've been living under a rock. Uh, right now in the United States, we're going through a major crisis. The United States government may default on its debts. We're rapidly approaching the debt ceiling right now, and right now Congress and the president are at odds with each other as to trying to find a bill that will extend the debt ceiling uh, for at least a couple of years so that way we don't default, that way we can pay uh, our Social Security recipients, which, are, which I am one. We can continue to pay our military, and we can continue our social programs that are really vital to our existence. Now, the our representatives have been going at it night and day for the past couple of days. And they think they have a bill. Now they're going through procedures and rules and having to get it in and out of committees before it goes to the full house for a vote and then goes to the full Senate for a vote and then goes to the president's desk for signature. Now all this has to happen by June the 6th. That's right. We actually, the debt ceiling hit on June the 1st. They managed to create a temporary stay for at least a week. So that put us at June the 6th. Now here's the funny thing. The secretary of the, of the treasury Secretary Yellen, who's this old chick with white hair that looks like a, a Romulan from back in the day, says that we can extend the debt ceiling to probably the 13th. At first, it was the 1st. Now it's the 6th. Now it's the 13th. I think this is all BS. They're, they've been playing us all along just to try to get a bill in so the president can ultimately shoot it down and say, I, you have to put my bill through. And he's going to have all sorts of spending sprees and whatnot. And we're going to go nuts because we're going broke. And if you look at traditional history, all the great nations started out by overextending themselves. The last one that I, that I recollect was Argentina. Argentina was a robust, a bustling country with a vivid, vibrant economy, good education, good schools, and then a dictator came into power and started changing everything. He's ruined the economy. He's destroyed his country for socialism, which is what they're doing here. And now Argentina is a shambles of what she once was. Is the United States headed for that same fate? I don't know. I hope not. I hope they can get it together and figure out what's what's got to be. Uh, another one of the things that's on the chopping block. Well, it's not. It's kind of like a sticking point. President Biden still wants to have his four hundred billion dollar bailout of everybody that has student loan debt, up to twenty thousand dollars. This was a sticking point in his campaign for president back in 20. And uh, he's still rolling on it. Now, according to many members of the Congress, since they're all almost all lawyers, they say that the president cannot do that. He could just not write away student loan debt. Now, first and foremost, let's back up a little bit. 
a student loan is when you go to college, whether it be a two or four year, mostly it's a four year university because tuitions are through the roof right now. Even a mediocre university has exorbitant amounts of, uh, of fees for their students, housing, uh, you name it, books, uh, food, uh, extracurricular activities. Yes, they charge for everything. So now these poor kids realize that as they look at the courses they need to take and their debt, and, and Ed, can you imagine if you're if you want to be a doctor, it's even worse. I read this was some time back that one um, one semester of university at Harvard, Harvard University, where the, the big school where they train doctors and lawyers, and many of our politicians come from. One semester is $90,000. One semester, three months. That's $30,000 a month. I thought I was getting reamed by them charging Medicare $4,000 an hour for my dialysis, which doesn't have to be that much. We've gone over this before. So now the poor, the little guy that's going to a junior college, say SAC, wants to be, uh, let's say, an engineer. So he's taking the precursor courses at, at SAC or St. Phillips. And now he's going to move on to UTSA or a, a larger university to get his four-year degree. So now he's got to go to a bank, probably get his parents to co-sign a loan for him for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. Now he's got to go to work. Nine times out of ten, they do work. They work in restaurants. They're your, they're your servers. You know, the people that provide you with your meals and and bring you fresh water and cutlery. And so this is what they do. And then once they're finished with college, once they got that degree, and hopefully they're working in the industry that their studies were centered around, and they start to work. Well, now you got to pay off that student debt because at some point in your contract, it says you will start paying back this debt on this day. If you don't, you default on that debt and they will, the bank can seize your assets and foreclose on your any properties that you might own and blah, blah, blah. You know, this is true because most of us at some point in our lives have taken a personal loan and guess what? You had to pay it back simply because it was required of you in the contract. It's called a contract for a reason because the bank agrees to do something if you agree to pay them back. Even if you buy a car, it's the same deal. It's a contract that you will pay this much on by this month, every month for X number of months. So, um, so there, the deal is done. You've made a pact with the devil. Now you owe this debt, and you got to pay it off. Well, sometimes you stop making the payments because you just can no longer. You lost your job, or you know, and COVID really screwed with a lot of people. Don't forget. Well, now because the government's made it so that you don't have to work, people don't want to go back to work. So they just default on that payment. What are they going to do? You know, I live in an apartment. I'll, I'll go back and I'll leave with my parents. What are they going? What's the bank going to do? So they default on this loan. So we have all these loans that are being defaulted on, 
and it affects me because that means I can't get a raise in my social security because I got to pay off your debt because you decided not to. You decided to be irresponsible. Don't get me wrong. There are many, many, many of you out there that struggle and you pay off your student debt. My brother-in-law is one of them. He went to the University of the Incarnate Word for four years and he worked at the same time and he pays his monthly student loan bill every month. He's almost done. But he's been out of school already for about 10 years. Actually, more like 13. And he's still paying on it because that is his biggest burden. So now we have all, so now we have Joe Biden comes along and says, I'm going to forgive all the student loan debt, $400 billion worth. Well, that's much money that could be better spent to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. You know, Meals on Wheels, Meals for Students in the Summertime. But no, he wants to pay off. And what is he doing it? It's simple. This is no different than a stimulus package giving everybody 1300 bucks. It's garnering votes. They're buying votes. When come election times, hey, remember I paid off your student debt? Vote for me. Well, if you're smart, if you went to school and you, and you got an education, you're not woke. You know what the score is. The score is pay your debt, vote your mind and your heart, and don't listen to what Joe tells you. Now, what about the people that pay their student let loans off? What about those people? They're going to want something in return. Hey, look, I sat here and I, and I did my duty. I paid my debt back. And now you're going to pay these guys their debt off? That's BS. That's bullshit. You can't do that. That's not fair. So that's where we come in. That's where the argument begins. There are many in the, in the Congress that say this is illegal. You cannot do this. You cannot just say poof and all the student get, debt goes away. So now this is an argument that's going to be taken up with the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court says this is legal, then Joe Biden will sign an executive order and poof, their debt goes away right there and then. If the Supreme Court says, no, he has no right to do this, the order to, to change laws or to garner wages or garnish wages is strictly in the hands of the Congress. And so then they will still be responsible for that debt and they have to pay it back. In, a, in order to make the world go around much more smoothly, you got to do what you got to do. You have to pay the piper, so to speak. But these kids have gotten so lazy, so lazy. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I went, this happened in the same food chain. Uh, one's a local barbecue place called Bill Miller's Restaurant. And uh, the other one's a, it's a sister business called Laguna Madre where they sell fish. And I've, I've told you this story before. I think it was the last episode or two episodes back. I went to uh, Laguna Madre to get fish. It was in the middle of Lent, yes. So we went. I had my mom with me. I placed the order. And we're there waiting. And it was a pretty busy day. They they're, they were getting pretty much slammed. Okay. So they called my order up after about 25 minutes. 
I just happened to meet a man there who happened to be the regional director for all the Laguna Madres and a few Bill Millers. His name was Antoine. Smart guy. And we're having a conversation. I asked him, I said, you know, I see you here quite a bit. Are you the manager? He said, no, 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 I'm the regional director for Laguna Madres. He goes, I got like five stores under my belt and three uh, Bill Millers. I said, are you responsible for the Bill Millers over by the Alamo Dome? He said, no, no, that's somebody else's. I said, okay, cool. So they called my name, and he went back behind the, the end of the kitchen. So I got my order and went home, got home, pulled the order out of the bag, and to my mom's astonishment, she opened both plates to see whose was whose. And my order was a two-piece cod. My mother's was a an eight-piece shrimp. We opened the plates. There was no fish in mine, and there was no shrimp in hers. Just the accessories, hush puppies and french fries. Ooh, I was pissed. I immediately called the Laguna Madre, told them what happened. So the manager's trying to give me the runaround. Well, you know, this and that, but you got to come back in. And I was like, dude, I live like 10 miles away from you guys. And I said, wait, 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 is Antoine there? He said, yes. I said, let me speak to Antoine. So they put Antoine on the phone and I'm saying, do you remember me? We were we were chatting at the, at the restaurant. You were asked, I was asking you about this. And he goes, yeah, I remember you. I said, okay, here's my deal. I bought my, I bought a plate of fish and a plate of shrimp. I came home and there was none of the good stuff in the basket, just fries and hush puppies. You didn't even give me the condiments for for that tartar sauce or, or uh, cocktail sauce. So, Antoine, I'm very upset right now. What are you going to do about this? So this is what he told me. I said, because your manager is insisting that I come in and do this and show them the empty, empty plates. I said, I shouldn't have to do that. I said, I'm 10 miles away from you. I live quite a distance from you. He said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Save your receipt. Bring it in at your discretion. When I, I'll let you know when I'm here. I will refill the orders at no charge, and I will reimburse your credit card. I said, cool. Okay. So later that week, uh, we decided to have uh, poor boys from Bill Miller's. This is the same chain. So I go to Bill Miller's. It's a week later, and I'm still holding on to the uh, receipt from Laguna Madre. So I go to Bill Miller's, and both my mom and I wanted a poor boy, a beef brisket poor boy. So I went up to the to the uh, drive-through, and I specifically said on the speaker, not once, not twice, but three times, that I wanted two beef brisket poor boys. And she's like, "Okay, beef brisket, brisket." I said, "Yes." And I want them, the, I want the poor boys, the whole nine yards. I want the fries, the pickle, the onion, everything. She says, okay, yeah, that, that, that goes with it. I said, okay. I also want, I added on some, there were some other things that I wanted. The, I said, now repeat that back to me. You wanted two beef, beef brisket, poor boys, and a pie, and this, and this, and this. I said, okay, fine. Please drive up. So I drove up. And they read me their order back at the window. And I said, okay, cool. So they gave me my bag with my two poor boys, my poor boy pluses, and my pie. 
Now, I live about a mile and a half from this uh, Bill Miller's, and I got home, and we're taking our goodies out of the bag. The pie they got right. The poor boys, they did not. They gave me sausage, poor boys, because I bit into it, and I was like, this ain't beef. So I opened it up, and I was like, it looks like beef, but it's not beef. It's sausage. It was sausage, poor boy. Because they do three kinds. They do ham. Uh, brisket, sausage, oh, and ham, uh, and brisket. Yeah, four. But I specifically asked them twice for a brisket, poor boy. And they called it back to me, but they sent me home with sausage. So needless to say, I was disappointed on both counts by the same organization. I've never been back since. And I will probably not go back to them, either one of those stores in the future. And anybody that does say they want to go there, I will recommend that you don't. Simply because. And then what did I do? I don't, I don't have the ticket anymore from Laguna. I got rid of it because I was just so pissed. I didn't want anything to do with those people. So this is the thing. They, they have people working who don't give a rat's ass about what you or how you think or feel. They don't understand that they're there to provide a service, plain and simple. Their service is to provide food, the food service. That's what your industry is. You're supposed to provide. So you can pay your student loan off because you're getting paid by the hour. Now, most of the people that probably work at a, at, at a Bill Miller's or Lugana Madre are college students. Most of them probably have student loan debt. So you should take a look. See, that's the thing. That's another problem with, the, with America now. Nobody takes pride in what they do. I told you a story earlier about my great uncle, uh, David, who at the age of 17 joined the army to fight in World War I. Why he did that, I don't know, but he had civic pride. He had pride in the country that he, rep that he was born in, that was taking care of him, and he figured the least he could do was go fight and risk his life, which he did, which he lost. Civic pride, taking pride. There was a time during World War II when every bomber that came off the line, every tank that came off the line, every Jeep, every machine gun, every canteen, every pair of boots was made with pride in America. You knew when you fired up that diesel engine and that uh, M1, uh, not M1, and that, and that uh, patent tank, it was going to start. When you put a round in the turret, it was going to fire. When a Navy ship came off the, the gunnels, it went into the water and it was ready for battle. All you do is put the, put the, the ammunition in the, in the bunkers and in the, in, the, in the guns and they fire. When you were issued a machine gun, you knew when you put that, that magazine in there, it was going to fire. It was going to work. It wasn't going to leave you helpless or surrounded by Japanese or, or Germans. Pride in America. There was a time after World War II when American goods were highly sought because it was made in America. There are still things made back then that are still working today because they were made in America. Americans had pride in what they did. Not so much now. This is the state of our economy. It's on a borderline shambles. So where do we go? I don't know. You tell me. We live in very precarious times, my friends. Watch your back.
because with Joe and Biden in charge, the gray jumpsuits are all on order for everybody, along with the English to Chinese translation book. We, you may want to start learning how to speak Chinese. If you ever read the book 1984, read it again. And all the things that are happening then in a book that was written back in 1958 are happening now. And it's 2023. That's right. Change is coming, and it better be the right change. It needs to be a conservative change. I'm not telling anybody how to vote, but look around. You see where, where we're headed. It's all thanks to one man who decided to sell us out. I'm not afraid to say that our president sold us out to the Chinese. They get away with murder, literally, and nothing is done. All right. I think I've talked long enough. Well, that's the money situation. Hopefully it'll get better. Hopefully our leaders, the ones that we've put in place, are going to do the right thing by us. But you have to do the right thing yourself. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around. We'll be right back. Well, it's all right. Riding around in Freezeville, it's all right. If you live the life you please, well, it's all right. Doing the best you can, well, it's all right. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And as you all know, all six of you, when you hear End of the Line by the Traveling Wilburys, we've reached the end of this episode. It's time to wrap it up, call it a day, or call it a week, I guess you could say. Well, we've discussed quite a bit. We talked about debt, life, and death. We've talked a little bit about my life. But the thing is to live yours as fruitfully as you can. It'll be all right. I believe it will. You just got to believe. So I will leave you with my standard greeting. Live, laugh, love. Live your life as if today's the last day you're going to spend on this earth because it just might be. You may not wake up tomorrow. You may not make it home from work. Did you tell everybody that you should have, that you love them, that you miss them? Laugh. I'm not saying life always has to be serious, but life isn't a joke. But there are times where you can just laugh at what happened. There was just one time when I was having an argument with my girlfriend. And I rapidly just sat up from the balcony chair and ran my head right into a potted plant. The anger just left us and we all had a good laugh. Me, my girlfriend, her daughter. Uh, we still talk about it to this day. It's still funny. That's what I mean. You got to take the time and laugh. Laugh at yourself. And love. Love everybody on this earth, especially your enemies. You shouldn't have any enemies, but we all do. And you need to love them even more because they're your enemies. And you may one day make them understand and see it your way. Maybe not. 
but you got to love them and you got to love yourself. If you can't say that you love yourself, how can you say you can love someone else? I had to learn that the hard way. So until next week, I will bid you adieu and leave you with the traveling wheelbarrows. It's going to be all right. I promise. I promise it'll be all right. It's going to get better. It'll get better. It always does. Adios. Remember, it's all right. It's all right. We're going to